of my songs I have casually mentioned The fact that I like to drink beer This little song is more to the point Roll out the barrel and lend me your ears I like beer It makes me a jolly good fellow I like beer It helps me unwind And sometimes it makes me feel mellow Welcome to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. It's May 1st, 2012. It's May Day to some of you, but to us, uh, it's the Homebrewers Garden Show. Uh, We've got some excellent homebrewers who are also hop growers. Ben Granger from Beercraft and Peter Kennedy from SimplyBeer.com. We're going to be uh, interviewing later today the authors of The Homebrewer's Garden, Joe Fisher and Dennis Fisher. I'm Jimmy Carboni from Jimmy's Number 43 and The Good Beer Seal. I'd like to thank our sponsors, GreatBrewers.com. Use GreatBrewers.com to learn about beer styles and take the Great Beer Test to t- challenge your beer IQ. Again, GreatBrewers.com brings the American beer community together. We're also supported by the people at The Good Beer Seal, an association of 34 New York City beer bars that serve, promote, and support good beer. Check out Good Beer Seal com and we will be bringing to you uh, July Good Beer Month again in July uh, for the fourth year. So uh, here we are with uh, some guys who, who grow hops and make a lot of beer, Ben and and uh, Peter. Um, it's just a, it's, I don't think it's a coincidence that you're here and, and we're talking about the Homebrewers Garden book. Um, Peter, I know that you uh, at one point had done a review of this book. Yeah, I reviewed it on Simply Beer a couple weeks back, maybe a couple months back. And lots, what do you think? Lots what? Of great information. I mean, stuff for the the beginner, stuff for the advanced person. Lots of information on growing hops. Lots of information on growing uh, unique herbs. I mean, not even for beer, but even for you know regular kitchen use. Well, just uh, in the intro alone, it says homebrewers today can buy most of what they need in homebrew supply stores, and this is a great convenience for concerned. But if you have a little land or even a sunny porch. You can grow enough of your own hops, herbs, and adjuncts to make a real contribution to the flavor, aroma, and uniqueness of your homebrew. Oh, yeah. You can buy them, but it's not as fun as growing them. (laughs) (laughs) And Ben, what what about your thoughts about this book? Uh, Yeah, I think it's like a really really good tool, really good reference to kind of inspire the homebrewer to to brew new and unique things and use, you know, other... uh, other bittering herbs as opposed to hops. I mean, up until the 13th century when we really started to cultivate and grow hops as a crop, um, you know, most beer was brewed with other stuff. So, you know, it's it's kind of a, a neat little uh, reference guide to get back to that other stuff. Well, you know, we, we've been uh, featuring a lot of books and authors recently on the show because I think there are a lot of great resources out there about beer. We've had Charlie Papazian on, uh, but this is one of the most interesting ones, and it seems the most accessible. Uh, it makes me want to go not necessarily make beer, but grow the ingredients for beer. <laughs> and it keeps coming up, people talking about local beers, about New York State growing hops and grains. Uh, this is an amazing resource. I mean, one thing that we've seen on the market recently are more historical beers. There's uh, from Germany, Dr. Fritz Bream. He's for a while he had the 1809 style um, Berliner Weiss, and now he's put out other historical styles. You brought in uh, the 13th century Groot, and uh, this other one, which is a 15th century Gordiski. Do you know about these beers, Ben? I mean, what, what what's in in them that makes them different than what we're making in the modern the modern era? Well, I mean, the well, they're brewed without hops. 
you know, the brewed with with other bittering spices. Uh, the exact spicing in the gruet, I'm not sure of, but I mean, classic gruet is you know, horehound and and uh, mugwort, and it can be you know, heather. There can be all sorts of stuff inside of it, and the the. Uh, the other beer is a smoked sour wheat beer, which is totally crazy. But when Grodisky. you yeah, Grodisky. But when you think about it, I'm sure at some point all beer was sour, right? And I'm also sure at some point all beer was smoked, considering that uh, you know you have to uh, you have to uh, roast the grain to arrest the malting process, and at, and at some point it all was done with wood. Let's open the Groditsky. Um, we've had it on draft. We had Sour Beer Weekend at Jimmy's number 43. And this is really one, one, everyone's one of their favorite beers. It's only about 4.2%. Yeah. It's yeah. easy drinking. You can see uh, people in traditional times being refreshed by this. Yeah, being able to drink a few more than just a few. You know, in, in the book, uh, The Homebrewer's Garden, uh, Dennis and Joe Fisher, they have some recipes for, they have a dandelion bitter, um, his honey basil ale, uh, wild hops honey ale, that sounds good. A, a quino bitter, um, whorehound brown. What's whorehound, Ben? Whorehound, whorehound was actually, if I remember correctly, whorehound is a German word for basically mountain hop or wild hop. Uh, uh, just you know, a bittering herb. I'm not clear. I've, I've never had the chance to brew with it, uh, but but if I was to guess, I'm sure that it's you know a, a wild hop. And here's another one. There's rhubarb ale. Uh, and gingered ale. I think in the book it also mentions that even until 40 or 50 years ago, some British beers included some ginger and licorice, too. Sure. Sure, I could see that. I mean, it's it's uh, it's not easy to grow hops, that's for sure. And, and during shortage, I, I'm sure it would be easy to add just about anything. You Especially know? with all, no transportation back when ago, you just made with whatever you had around. Uh, absolutely, you absolutely. Know? Whatever was growing in the garden, for sure. For sure. Wow. Safer than water? Make some beer. It's <laughs> a good argument. You know, there's days I feel like I'd, I'd rather drink beer than water. <laughs> some days, <laughs> <laughs> many days. Yeah. So bo- both of you guys are in, have been inspired and learned from this book, and you both grow hops. What are the challenges of, of growing hops in New York? Well, um, well, there's a lot of challenges. I mean, New York is a, an intensely humid place, um, so during what would be the, 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 the best part of the growing season, which is kind of like late spring, early summer, you know, and, and even into late summer, we get these days that it's just 120% humidity and it's intensely hot. Now, when we get rain on those days, because we often do, you know, uh, spider mite is a huge problem and downy mold. There's all sorts of stuff that 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 you run into because of the high humidity uh, in New York. You know, also finding... Finding quality soil to grow in is another thing. It's one thing, you know, hops Hops do fine in buckets, sure. You know, they do fine. They don't do great, they do fine. So you really want to put them in the ground. And finding some, you know, some ground in New York City somewhere that's suitable to, you know, grow something and that you're eventually going to drink is a, there's no, small, no small feat in itself, you know. And one thing you have to realize is that as tall as hops get, they go just as far you, down yeah. and spread out. Yeah. So, you know, they can get... 15, 20, 25, even up to 30 feet tall in a growing season, it's going to go just as deep, just as wide. Yeah, they put out just as much root. So they need, you know, they need running room, you mm-hmm. know. They're like kids, you know. So lucky for me, I don't have the same challenges you do. I, I get, I'm out in Jersey, so I actually get a little bit more of a temperature swing. So I get cooler nights, which helps release some of the humidity in the air. 
you know, so I get a, a, a better range of temperature, even, you know, 15 miles outside of the city. And so, but for me, you know, it's, it's pests, you know, mold. If you get dense foliage um, with no wind going through, you know, you can get the mold. And it's just a matter of loving your plants. Let, let's take it from start to finish. So I, I'm going to go to a store and buy what seeds no how do i how do i get in my hot plant store you're gonna you're gonna want to buy rhizomes and you're not i mean you can now now you can go to a store now that we have you know places like brooklyn homebrew in the city where you can buy homebrewing ingredients and hops uh years ago i mean i would be you know like a like a hawk watching northern brewer and more beer and midwestern and waiting for these guys to put up their you know their little signs that say pre-order your hops pre-order your rhizomes now and i would just get on you know call them or get on the internet and pre-order and then you would wait why do they call them rhizomes why aren't they like seeds or bulbs or something well they're a root cutting they're a root cutting from a pre-existing plant the thing is is that you know there's male and female plants when it comes to hops and you really want you know um you really want females. You want you want something that produces flowers but no seeds. So there's no need to ever grow really hops from from seed when you can take a cutting from a female and then that's what you have. Um, so you that's why you buy rhizome and also you know a lot of the prized hops nowadays are are hybrid. You know they're they're uh, combinations of six, seven, eight different kinds of hops. So you really, the only way to get those is to is to to buy rhizome. The only people that have any need for hop seeds are are geneticists, and I mean, and they are using you know those seeds to to crossbreed and things like that and to create you know new varieties. The only time I've ever ever even seen a seeded plant or a male plant is there was one growing wild on a vacant lot on 4th Avenue in Park Slope, Brooklyn. I took pictures of it. I was going to go, you know, dig it out of the ground. But then I thought, then all my seeds, all my plants will have seeds, and that will be bad. You know, the other thing you have to also look at when, is the area you live in. You know, certain hot plants do do better, grow, grow better. You know, they're less resistant to maybe the temperature swings or the coldness where we are in New Jersey or, or New York. Um, so you got to look at that as well. Uh, what, what are some hop varieties that do well in, in the Northeast? Uh, I've been growing Magnum, Centennial, Cascade, Willamette, um, Hallertau, uh, and they've all done well for me. Um, but once again, you know, it's a matter of not just planting them, letting them go. There's, you know, I go out and look at them almost every day. You know, make sure there's no uh, insects growing on them, make sure they're not intertwining, make sure, you know, I'm, I'm cutting any stray uh, brines that are, are going up, uh, you know. There's there's a good amount of maintenance, but you know if you if you like it, it's a lot of fun. So what what would be a good number of hot plants to start with if you're a homebrewer? Maybe two or three. Yeah, so I would say start. two or three. It depends on how much space you have. You know how confident you are as you know with your green thumb. You know they're they're pretty easy plants to grow, and they um, you know will just take over if you don't be careful with them. Um, but like you said, sometimes you can grow them in pots if you have limited space. Um, in the ground, you, you probably want several feet of space in between your plants. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm packed into a tiny little backyard in Park Slope, and I have a ton of stuff in my garden. So I, don't, I, I really don't. I mean, you should do exactly what he's saying. Trim them back and keep them spread out and do all sorts of stuff. But I really, I'm, I'm that guy who just kind of lets them go. Let them fill up and go wild and go crazy and 
climb up a big sculpture and that kind of thing. And then at what point uh, are the hops themselves ready? Uh, well, that takes a lot of time depending on, on the plant. So the, it'll start usually in the end of July into August, and it'll start growing these little cones. They almost look like green pine cones. Um, and inside there, um, if you break them apart, you pick off one and you break it apart, over time you'll start to see a lot of yellow um, in the middle of it. The, and once that really becomes pungent and you can smell it with your hands and the leaves start to get a little papery, they're done. Yeah, it, once once you get to the point where you can see the lupulin glands really like plump and full on the inside, and you know you go out there and just if you're growing, you know if you're growing anything, you're usually pretty you know vested and you get a little weird about it sometimes. But you know every couple of like weeks after the cones form, I just take one, and I smash it up in my hands, and I smell my hands. One day <laughs> it goes from smelling like plants to say Hawaiian punch, and then you're very close. So it goes to like it definitely goes from smelling like just like a plant to smelling like whatever kind of character it's going to be, whether it's Hawaiian punch or passion fruit, grass or you know spice or green pepper, but whatever it might be, you know whatever that variety kind of has to offer. One of the nice advantages of you know home growing is that uh, you can kind of pick the uh, flowers over time yeah instead of like a commercial grower which tends to do a lot all at once you can kind of pick them all at their peakness instead of having a range of flowers that you know some are, are more pungent or more stronger than others you can kind of continue to pick them for a couple weeks and actually get you know a decent amount of yield out of you know a single plant because you've really optimized you know the the amount of, of cones that you're, you're picking off yeah you definitely have the luxury of being able to pick those things when they're ripe yeah as opposed to just like taking them all at once and then what do you do with the hops so you you take the hops off mm-hmm. and how do you incorporate them into your beer well i get my kids to do it um, but do you process them do you, do you, do you, do you dry them yeah, do you do, I, do I, anything I, to them or you just I, throw I, them in the beer i take my kids out there i show them which ones are good and i, I give them a pair of scissors and they start cutting them down um, and we put them into buckets, and then we have some screens set up in the garage with some fans blowing over them. And, you know, over a couple of days, they, they dry out, and then uh, I vacuum seal them and throw them in the freezer. And then use them whenever I want. Uh, sometimes I'll make a fresh hop beer, which, if you have a lot of hops, it's it's a great thing to do. But if you really are only harvesting a pound or, or less than that, you can really use the whole thing in one batch of beer, um, which I did last year after I had a um, a little insect problem and really killed my harvest. I took all the hops that I harvested and made one beer with it. It was fun. <laughs> Generally, um, I've only ever I've only ever cured my hops one year, um, and yeah, I just I just did I put them out on screens and put them inside of a closet, nice and dark and dry, dark dry, uh, not hot, dark dry, and that's that. Um, but usually what I do is I take as many hops as I get I get off my plants and immediately give them to a local well I give part of them to a local brewery and have them do me like a couple of casks with fresh hops in the casks for the shop and then I'll make like I'll make 10 or you know 10 or 20 gallons of fresh hop beer straight away 
I, again, I'm, I'm in you know I'm in Brooklyn. I don't have a lot of hob, a lot of places to store anything, so I'm you know, you know I dump them all into. into well, I love batch. that style. I love in the fall the, the fresh hop beers. My favorite last year, I, I always like Sierra Nevada Harvest. My favorite last year was the Founders. I got one keg of Founders, uh, yeah. of the fresh hop, and it was it was yeah, really, buddy, right that on was Founders good from beer. Michigan. Yeah. Oh, yeah, and this this beer we just opened, the Gruit, going back to historical styles. What's a Gruit? I mean, well, Gruit Gruit is beer before hops. You know. Um, it's barley or wheat. It can be, you know, it's it's grains, water. Uh, it's malt, water, yeast, and spices. This particular one's, you know, I think it's caraway and bay leaf, and there's some. I think uh, an- there might be anise in this. It's really, really crazy the flavor on it. It's got bay leaf and ginger and anise and gentian and rosemary and you know some like really, really crazy stuff in it. But, you know... Um, I'll take a tap off. Yeah. All right. Hey, um, we're going to take a short break, and when we come back, we'll talk with the authors of The Homebrewer's Garden. We'll be back in a moment on Beer Sessions Radio. The minute you walked in the joint, I could see you were a man of distinction, a real big spender, good-looking, so refined. Say, wouldn't you like to know what's going on in my mind? So let me get right to the point. I don't pop my cork for every guy I see. Hey, big spender. Spend a little time with me. Wouldn't you like to have fun, fun, fun? How's about a few laughs, laughs? I can show you a good time. Let Ooh, me show yeah. you a Welcome back to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. Proud here at Roberta's in Bushwick, Brooklyn. Enjoying ourselves on a very lovely May 1st day. It's May Day, guys, and guess what we're doing? We're drinking historical beers and talking about growing your own ingredients for beer in your garden or your farm. It's pretty awesome. Hey, um... We've been uh, drinking some herbal and uh, traditional beers, and, and Ben, what did you just say? You're dying for what kind of beer? I'm dying for a hoppy beer. <laughs> so what did you bring us? I brought uh, today, as I, uh, as I was leaving the shop, we were getting our, uh, we were getting our union order, and uh, I was walking along, and I saw a box I'd never seen before, and opened it up and yelled, yeah, buddy, because we, uh, we got the new bottles of uh, Pallet Wrecker in. Which is an insanely hoppy beer uh, by Green Flash. Um, we had we had a keg of it uh, last week, maybe two weeks ago. Is this the first year they actually bottled it. I, th- I you know, it's, for the New York market, yes. Uh, it, for bottles for the rest of the country, I can't speak to that, but I think this might be the first bottling of so it. So when, when we talk about hops from beer, we we talk about IBUs. That's how you measure the. Is that the lupulin? Count? That's bitterness. bitterness, bitterness, and that's really perception of bitterness. That's that's you know that's how many how much alpha acid versus how much residual sugar there is. That's basically just a, a measurement to give the consumer an idea of how bitter this beer is going to. So taste. if you hear a beer has has a number of IBUs, like eighty IBUs is supposed to be bitter. Is that from a, a, a human judging it? 
and giving it a scale, or yeah, is it actually a no, chemical that, test? That, that, that's, that's a, a mathematical a formula. formula. Yeah, <laughs> we'll call it a rough formula. Yeah, that, but still, that's based on a human. There's numbers involved. A human taste, <laughs> or is there actually like a, a machine that can judge the IBUs of a? Beer? Well, it's it's how much hops were added to the actual beer at what point they were added, uh, and versus how much malt water. It's 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 basically a formula that involves. All the ingredients plus the level of alpha acid and plus the amount of so acid. So it's something that's that the, the brewer, when they make the beer, they would they would say this is the IBU. Count. Yeah, yeah, they would they would they would calculate yeah. it, or they would use a program to calculate it, or, or something along those uh, along those lines. And and that particular formula degrades the higher it gets, yeah. the very less accurate. Yeah, it comes. yeah. I mean, I've had beers that were. That said that they were, you know, two, you know, 220 IBUs. Well, you got that McKellar 10,000, right? <laughs> I mean... That's my, getting extreme. Yeah, it's getting extreme. But, you know, in some points it just doesn't, you know, just doesn't taste like that. And that can be a bitter drink. It can be a very... That can be a, a bitter drink, but it's not necessarily a hoppy beer. You know, because... You know the the elf, the IBUs can be driven up by simply adding lots of hops early on in the boil. But, you know, those that, that aroma... That tea-like flavor, sometimes passion fruit and pineapple, all those like huge like tropical fruit flavors. There, you know, they come later in the boil, and and those aromas come later in the boil too. And that's that's your that's your that's your oils. You know, that's that's the good stuff. Or awesome. even after, you know, with yeah, the dry yeah, hopping with the, with the so dry hopping. Yep. Well, let's go back. Let's see. Is uh, are, are Joe and Dennis on the line? We're here. Oh, hey, is it both of you, Joe and Dennis Fisher. Yeah. Hey, we just want to say we're, we're big fans of your book. We have Peter Kennedy from SimplyBeer.com who's reviewed your book and Ben Granger from Beercraft in Brooklyn who uses your book all the time because he grows things and makes beer. So thank you so much for writing this book. Um, your book has been called The Marriage Between Two Great Hobbies. What made you want to write a book about gardening and homebrewing? Tough question. Well, these are two <laughs> interests of ours. Uh, you know, we were... Uh, uh, interested in in brewing and interested in gardening and uh it just sort of you know it was an obvious place where they those two things came together is this joe or dennis this no, that's dennis. That dennis this is joe joe and where do you guys live um we live in winterport maine just outside of bangor <laughs> i'm from bangor and we, we actually have a farm <laughs> i mean at the time we wrote the book we did not have a farm but um since uh we've Moved up here. We've learned a lot more about uh, well about the subject. And what's the climate like up there? I mean, it's Maine. I think about beach, and I think <laughs> about winter. Uh, how, how does that affect the the things that you grow in your garden, and what's your growing season? Well, I'm glad to hear that you guys are having a really nice uh, May first down there because it's pouring here. Uh, it's uh, tends to be a little cooler than where you are, um, and that can uh, that can affect hop growing. And um, barley uh, drying and things like that. We we can get a wet, uh, pretty wet summer without too much trouble. You got, you guys say you guys have a farm right now, yeah? Yeah. What do, are you growing? Any uh, brewing botanicals on the farm? We're uh, we grow hops. You know, we've uh, we've always grown a, a fair number. We've always had a, at least a few hills around, um, and uh, we're uh, planning to grow some barley this year. Um, and then there's just uh, you know a variety of uh, of uh, herbs that we always grow that we can uh, throw in the beer at any time. There's a uh, ginger, for instance, and uh, 
And dandelions. <laughs> yeah, dandelions. <laughs> That'd be good. Let, let me ask you about this. Cause I, I, one thing I loved about your book was the reference to all these historical beers that are made with herbs. Um, I think it's one of the most fascinating things I've read in a long time. We've been tasting some some different like kind of tr- historical beers like Gruet and Gradisky. Um, you say in your book, and I'm going to read it just because it's so great. It said, today hops are the primary brewing herbs, but this was not always true. Throughout history, hop cones were just one of many different kinds of herbs used to flavor and preserve beers. That's very profound. Um, what 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 made you guys go in that direction? I mean. Uh, you know, before people were just using extracts and just learning how to homebrew, but you guys um, were in a totally different direction. You must feel like vindicated now, like you're visionaries or something. Uh, yeah, well, yeah, kind of, that's kind of where the research led us. It's like there are all these interesting um, I mean, medicinal beers and um, kind of traditional beers, like like you're talking about Gruet a little while ago and Runswick Mum, which is very very similar. Um, and the the thing that they brew before. Uh, hops really were were widespread in Europe, um, but uh, it, yeah, it's just it, it's just kind of where the um, the research kind of led us, um, and it, uh, we've done many batches of of most of, of the recipes. Um, you don't necessarily brew everything every year. Like um, if we had a, a really good uh, pear year, for instance, um, uh, we brew some perry. Um, which is like cider, except it's made out of pears. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's, it's, it's very interesting to see things like the um, uh, revival of, of um, uh, heather uh, ale, for instance. Yeah, have you guys like, had a, from yeah. from Scotland? Have you had the the Williams Brothers beers? They use the heather, sure, and the beers like fruit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The the frolic and the heather ale but and all that. Dennis kind of. and Joe, have you guys ever yeah. tried those from Scotland? Yeah. Yeah, let's, let's 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 take us a different direction. Okay, so the most interesting thing, that the recipe in your book, is the dandelion bitter or the dandelion stout. Uh, yeah. how, how about you want to like talk us through uh, how you discovered those that recipe and uh, how you would work with dandelion in making a beer? Because that's that's like um, fascinating. Well, let's see. <laughs> I suppose I should have looked at the recipe, um, but yeah, I mean. We were adding the um, dandelions to the the early um, boil. Essentially, it's like um, it, it's a um, uh, grain and extract recipe, um, and you know we extract our uh, um, our grains and then and then add the, the malt um, and add the um, basically the whole plant. Uh, just to, like wash the whole plant and make sure it doesn't have any grit and so on in it. Um, about a, like a pound of plant, you know, the whole thing. It's like stems, um, uh, leaves, and roots, um, and then boil it. Uh, it it's in the, the 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 beer for the whole boil, um, and it provides the um, uh, most of the bittering uh, for the recipe. It's definitely a different. Um, kind of bitterness than what you get with hops. Um, yeah, I mean, the, the, there's a little bit of, of um, uh, you know, flavoring hops in it and aroma hops, but the, the, the entire bitterness is coming from that um, uh, 
dandelion addition. So, so you're you're adding the dandelions at the start of the boil, and then you guys are just like dosing it with kind of fifteen minutes and uh, flame out hops, that kind of thing. Um, yeah. Yep. Wow. That's pretty much what we're doing. How long did it take you to come down, come up with that recipe? How many, like, how off, how many times did you have to make it before you dialed in one pound of hops per? How many gallons of beer is it? Uh, it's five gallon batch. Um, and I mean, it, it, was, it was a long time ago. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I mean, you wouldn't necessarily. I think we nailed it in one. I think we did, actually. I mean, it, it was like, you wouldn't want more um, dandelion bitterness the, than um, one pound for five gallons. Sure. Um, just because um, it, it, of, of the nature of the bitterness. You know, that, that's another thing about some of these old. Um, not so much the dandelions, but some of these uh, um, old bittering herbs, it, they could give you some seriously unpleasant, uh, you know, flavors if you added too much of them. Sure, sure. Uh, we, we brewed a, uh, well, my buddy Joe actually brewed a, a uh, wormwood beer last year. We did a... Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, we did a, uh, what did he do? Because we, we had done a, um, a goza. Earlier, we'd done like a salt coriander beer, and Joe decided that it was a good idea to do a goza with uh, with wormwood in it, and yeah. uh, he added a very. And we talked about it for quite a while because I thought it was a great idea. <laughs> and, yeah, right. And uh, he uh, he added the finest amount, and it was just insanely bitter. Yes, a yes. very intense bittering from the from the from the wormwood. Yeah, yeah, let's yeah. go to a different thing. You, um, also, one of your recipes, you've got sati, you've got the sorghum ale. It says sorghum beer is the favorite drink of the indigenous population of South Africa. I know that sorghum is being used uh, when people want to make a beer that doesn't have a ce- for celiac disease. Gluten-free. The gluten-free beer. Um, sure. How did you come yeah. across this yep. sorghum recipe? And uh, do you grow sorghum? Uh, we haven't. I mean, it's not really a crop that will grow that well where we are um it's more of a warm weather kind of a um a grain right I mean, we talk about growing it yeah. um and of course uh you can get uh, sorghum syrup um and probably but if you could grow it it would be so, so do you like sorghum beer have you had it i mean uh, sorghum beer yeah have, have, have you had sorghum beer do you... i don't think i've had sorghum beer no? Other, other than what we've brewed. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going through. See, I have the copy of your, your book in front of me. I don't know if you guys Jimmy do. just a second yeah, ago. Yeah, do. Jimmy just a second ago mentioned sati, and you guys are actually in the right part of the world to be making sati with the, spru- we've made with sati. the spruce bombs and the, up the, and, and Maine, you guys have made it? Yeah, we've made sati. And how did it come out? I don't know. It's kind of feety. Yeah, it gets funky, yeah, right? We, we were making a lot of beers that are similar to that at the time, and they were all coming out a little bit uh, primitive. Yeah, yeah. They definitely had this right. kind of house, house flavor of feet. Here's um, another one. Um, <laughs> house but, flavor uh, of feet. <laughs> yeah, um, <laughs> and a lot of it was coming from the the, the kind of. I mean, you know, as as a. Uh, 
Humber or what you can and can't get away with mm-hmm. as far mm-hmm. as, you know, what what's going to uh, put some, some wild yeast or some bacteria in your beer. Mm-hmm. Um, and in, in those styles of brewing, um, the brewers didn't care. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, a lot of, their, uh, of what was fermenting their, their brew was, you know, the stuff that we don't want in there. Right. You, you know, um, and no, go, going almost, way back. Some of these beers almost tasted infected anyway, so even if you did them right, they... Uh, they t- they're definitely... Ooh. The flavor of something like sati doesn't necessarily say beer no, to you. You know, it doesn't yeah. taste like it doesn't um, uh, you know taste malty and hoppy. It tastes sour. One, one time, um, and, and a lot of that is the um, well, it, it's it's the uh, uh, rye, for instance, will will make a, a beer taste like that. But also the the uh, wild yeasts will take make beer taste like that. Sure, sure. Uh, I know you have. Um, a, you have- that, that there's an uncontrolled element, but of course that that's what that that whole style is is about. Now you have right, a, a, a lot of cultural of recipes Here's in Peter. this book, and uh, one of the things that I really loved about your book was a whole section you had on um, on insects, yep. uh, the oh, insects yeah. that will eat hops and and so forth. And yeah, after right, after right. a battle with a whitefly last year. Um, this uh-huh. was a, a great read for me, and uh, you know my kids happened to get it for me for Christmas, and you know oh, cool. I, I, I literally read through the book in probably two days, the entire yeah, thing, yeah. and I found it, it it just had so much information, was so easy to get through, um, you know, put it in terms that I could understand, you know, which you know may be difficult for a lot of writers. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're fairly simple-minded. <laughs> and Joe and Dennis, are, I'm, I'm just saying Joe and Dennis because you know we're on the, we're, we're not in the studio, you're on the air, so I still don't know who's Joe and who's Dennis. Say who, say Joe, say your name, um, Joe. If anything sounds smart, it's Dennis. <laughs> And then Joe. <laughs> and then, no. actually, it's kind of the reverse of that. So the, the question is, did you guys uh, start writing this book and start your learning at the same time? Or had you already been doing, growing your own ingredients and making beer for a long time before this? Because we're going we back, it says 1998 you published the book. What's that? It, it said uh, in 1998 you first published the book? Yep, yeah, right, yeah. Correct. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We'd been growing hops since about 91 at that point. So, you know, we had some experience behind us in growing it. And uh, we just... Uh, yeah, we and, and really only started uh, brewing in the early 90s. Right. Uh, but, yeah, some- we, we, we had some brewing experience um, under our belts before we started, um, you know, growing our own ingredients. You got some um, great information in there. I, I picked up a lot of the, the tips that uh, for off-season kind of care for, for yeah. my plants, which are, are going on their third and fourth year. Um, oh, and, you know, basically the, the simplest tip that I picked out of your book, and it seems to be working really well, was just to add the manure on top of the, uh, the plants at the end of the year. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And sure. uh, this year, they've, you know, along with the very nice weather, you know, mm-hmm. mine are up. Twelve feet tall already, so you know, wow. doing good. Joe, and are you guys? Do you guys have a website that we can tell our listeners about, or is it just buy the book? <laughs> I know this. It's, it's, it's story publishing. Go to www.story story with an e dot com. Um, can you guys stay on for a little while with us? We're going to take a short break. Yeah, sure. Okay, yeah, we'll right take now. a short break. We'll be back in a few minutes on Beer Sessions Radio. All right. Brother. You feel good? You feel good? You feel so much bone, brother. How you feel, 
Okay, welcome back to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. Here we are in Brooklyn, Bushwick at Roberta's. All right, we've got Peter Kennedy from simplybeer.com. Ben Granger, my buddy, from Beercraft. Hey, what's up, Jimmy? Jimmy Carboni. And our guests, uh, Joe and Dennis Fisher, authors of The Homebrewers Guard. So we were talking over the break, uh, you know, real old traditional fermenting. I'd heard the story about, uh, you know, in the old days, or maybe even today in the country, uh, imagine a, a hollow log that some some... You know, bees hives has dropped into, and there's rainwater, and it kind of ferments naturally. And then, what were you talking about, Ben? Uh, I mean, the I grew- old sati recipe. Oh yeah, I can't remember if uh, it was this chef I worked for, Johan, who's a Finnish guy. Or- and then the beer actually drinks the fermented honey water. You, that drunk bears. The drunk bears. Drunk yeah. bears. Drunk bears story. That's what. That's it is. drunk bears. <laughs> you got. I I can't remember if this was uh, this story was Johan this this, uh, this chef I worked for a town years ago or or if it's my father in law told me this story but apparently Sati is your father in law the drunk bear <laughs> <laughs> you can you can get me in trouble Jimmy uh, so apparently that uh, Sati was this like hunt camp beer that uh, fellows would roll into hunt camp and they would mix sugar. And water and boil it with spruce bombs and then go get baker's yeast and crumble the baker's yeast up into it and then at the duration of beer of you know hunt camp they would drink this mixture which I could also like you were talking about before would probably taste fairly f- feedy. Well, it was probably tastes a little weird. I'm just, I'm just saying. And then you had one more story, Ben. Oh no, I mean Jimmy was talking about the drunk bears and when I was a kid. <clears throat> I mean, a teenager, me and Timmy Sherwood would... Uh, upstate New York. Oh, yeah. yeah. The, well, way upstate. On the, the real upstate. On the heel of Lake Ontario on the border of Canada. But me and Timmy Sherwood would uh, sit at his house and drink this cider that we made in his closet. And uh, we'd go out to the apple orchards and sit. And you'd see, the, you'd see the deer eating the drop apples. And the drop apples are all fermented. So you'd see these deers getting tore up on drop apples and you haven't seen nothing until you're a 15 year old getting drunk on cider and watching deer stumble through fields <laughs> <laughs> now did they really stumble <laughs> no, well I mean it, sure it, it might have been me stumbling I don't know <laughs> so because of all this you know since nature's wants is we're drawn to fermented beverages thank God for guys like Joe and Dennis <laughs> yeah. and teaching us about growing a, a better so I'd say the things that you can grow your your, your 
uh, Ben's been calling them what beer botanicals? Yeah, brewing botanicals. Brewing botanicals. I mean, that's what I always. I have a handful of them in my garden. So when you know people are over, it's, I always say that's the beer garden, the brewing botanicals. I mean, we're talking about the character of a beer, Joe and Dennis and Peter, and I, I think that I can imagine. You know, you see what hops does, and I'm a big fan of the, the fresh hop beers. I can see having some hops and you know peppering in using that term peppering. You know, whether it's some chili or rosemary or thyme. Um, I see people doing that. Um, I'd love to see some commercial brewers really get a little more ambitious. Um, do you, have you guys interacted? Do you guys work with any commercial breweries at all, Joe and Dennis? Or is anybody uh, asking you guys? With, um, uh, herbs in them? Um, well, there was that uh, Beer Profeto that Pike Place Market had. Uh, no, not Pike Place Market. Pike Place Brewery had. I'm not sure if they still do it. But, um, yeah, it was, it, it, uh, where um, the main flavoring was um, oregano. Um, and then there was, what was that other one? Um, yeah, Big Time Brewery had some kind of a herbal beer. elysian has um, got a whole bunch of stuff in the market right now. Uh, they got a Yerba Mate beer out right now. Uh, it's wow. got a little Yerba Mate in it. And uh, we just cracked open another one of their... Um, Oh, it's called. Well, the beers are based on the apocalypse, so one of them's called <laughs> one of them's called Rapture, and that one's that one's got <laughs> that one's got Heather in it, and uh, the one with uh, Yerba Mate in it is called Niburu. But uh, what we're we're definitely, I mean, from a you know because. My business is, is a bottle shop, so we see a lot of this stuff come through. Um, sure. We we've seen we've seen a a lot of. Interesting beers come through. I mean, uh, the brewery out in California did a rice beer with Thai basil in it. Um, you know, there's been piles of like, you know, and Dogfish Head, Dogfish Head once a year usually does something with some really weird stuff in it. And Peter, you brought some homebrews too. Getting back to yep, homebrewing. Yep, I brought. Uh, we just cracked open, which is the uh, chocolate peanut butter porter, and uh, this this has a nice story behind it. So every year I brew a beer for my kids' birthdays. Um, and so for my daughter's third birthday, her favorite things at the time were chocolate and peanut butter. And so this is where that beer came from. It's a, a giant beer. It's 12% alcohol. Whoa. Uh, <laughs> but it, it has, uh, it uses uh, Valencia peanuts in it um, and uh, a lot of uh, Keiko nibs as well. Um, it's uh, It's been a pretty popular beer. A lot of people looking on my website, looking for the recipe, cloning it. You know, people all over the country are asking me for it and wanting it. And Peter, you, it's just you've, really become an interesting you've been a thing. home brewer for how many years? Uh, Sixteen years. And then uh, you've been in some competitions. I know you've you're a noted home brewer. I know you're from New York City Homebrewers Guild. Yep. Have you won any competitions? Uh, I don't enter a lot of competitions. Uh, a couple years ago, I entered uh, the New Jersey State Fair, and I won that uh, with a sriracha peanut. Uh, sorry, uh, sriracha patters beer, uh, which is it was really nice. About four percent. Alcohol, uh, Belgian style beer with sriracha ace hops, uh, very light, refreshing, kind of lemony. Um, but besides that, you know, I enter the NHC. You know, I never my beers never What's go that? anywhere. Uh, the national homebrewing competition. Uh, usually, about five six thousand people enter that. Uh, and that's coming very, up soon. That's in, is that San Diego this year? Uh, that's in Seattle this Seattle year. Seattle this year. Yeah, uh, last year was San Diego. This year is Seattle. Uh, the first rounds were completed a couple weeks ago. 
Uh, my beers didn't fare very well. The peanut butter porter fared the best, but uh, you know, it's I, a I, weird I beer. I'll tell you that. It's it's a very I mean, strange. It's beer. good, but it doesn't. It's, it's pretty it's awesome. Pretty weird. It's I pretty like awesome. it, but it's weird. It's pretty awesome. How how did your daughter like it? Uh, I mean, it was for her third birthday. <laughs> 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 just, I'm just kidding, bro. Uh, um, no, this is delicious. I mean, it really does. <laughs> and Ben, really you, you, you know, you're you're the owner of, of Beercraft, and, and we all know and love you. You're a good Brazil place. But uh, you've, you're also a home brewer, too. Oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. And how many years have you been home brewing? Uh, let's see. I think only seven, going on eight. I learned how to home brew from my father-in-law. And uh, I've been at it ever since. You know, and I've, I don't think I've ever made the same beer twice, and I mostly make beer for consumption. Wow! Yeah, well, uh, and and Joe and Dennis, uh, the homebrewers garden. I keep saying the book because <laughs> I love it. I, I I'm most drawn to this dandelion recipes. Did the dandelion bitter? And a dandelion stout, and I'm going to read it. I've got the book in front of me. Do you guys carry copies of your book around? Do we carry them around? <laughs> <laughs> you don't. Yeah, I know you don't, because here's dandelion stout. It says, dandelion stout sold here at 2D a bottle. It's from a sign-over shop in Midlands, England, circa 1910. When we think about these traditional styles of beer, you know, you think, okay, the, the ones from Dr. Fritz Bream, it's 13th century Gruet, 15th century Graditsky, but you guys are saying that even uh, in the early 1900s, people were still making these traditional beer styles. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, they definitely um, still had people making, um, you know, whorehound beer and dandelion stout and stuff like that, you know, well into the 20th century in doing their own homebrewing versions of them. And what changed it? I mean, you said even in one of your... You mentioned that even 40 years ago, some English breweries were using ginger and licorice. Uh, what changed? Why Why did it become all hops? It was, um, there was a kind of a battle. <laughs> yeah, th- 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 there was pretty much a revolution. Um, and um, actually, it, they, they wound up tightening up a lot of the um, um, brewing laws in, in Britain because... Uh, it, <laughs> I mean, back in the heyday of, of you know, mum and gruet and things, you couldn't necessarily trust that the beer that you were drinking wasn't going to put you under the, the, the table, um, you know, permanently, or, uh, you know, what was in that beer. Um, in the, they, they put a lot of, of, um, of stuff in the beers that you would, you know, knock the average customer down and then they could, like, steal their money. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, when, when when hops came over, they were not you know universally embraced immediately. Um, in and there was kind of a, a, a culture war that and the, the, the favorers of hops kind of won out or at least um, prevailed over everybody the, else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, the, 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 basically. You didn't have a Reinheitsgebot, but that's it was essentially the same thing. Well, you know, you just had the four big ingredients in beer. Well, well, yeah, yeah. I mean, it was the market that ultimately determined it. You know, the market drank enough of this stuff and said, "Hey, you know what? We like hops, and we would like more hops in our beer, and a lot less other stuff." Right. Yeah. 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 So hops is the winner, but now that hops won, uh, people can go back and uh, check out. Some of these other styles of beer. Yeah, and it's kind of Which fun. It's kind of fun. Yeah, or you can even fun. mix. You can do hops with some herbs, right? Yeah, yeah. You know, we we always yeah. we have a recipe written at the shop. You know, homebrew recipe that's a, a saison that's bittered entirely with wormswood, and then 
the the only hops that that are added are actually at Flame Out. For, so for you at your shop, do you sell any homebrew supplies? No, 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 no. We go to Brooklyn Homebrew. But you recommend recipes for homebrewers, or, uh, or you just make- we we just talk about beer. That's yeah. what we do. We t- we talk about beer, making it, drinking it. You know, I was in I was it. in Beercraft in Brooklyn. Check it out if you don't know Beercraft in Brooklyn. What is it? Beercraft.com? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And at Beercraft and at Simply Beer and at Beer underscore sessions. But <laughs> yeah, you go to Beercraft on a Saturday. A few weeks ago I was there, I uh, saw Ben. He was in the backyard, they had a cask fest. Yeah, a lot yeah. of local beers. How many different breweries are represented at the cask fest? Uh eight. We 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 with our cask fest we do a cask uh Cask Festival Oyster Shuck twice a year, once in the spring and once in the fall. So we get eight casks from all our, all our local breweries, and uh, I sit on a, you know, on a crate and shuck oysters. And he all did. Day he long. shucked fifteen hundred. And then in the regular store, that's just in the back or the regular store. There's a there's a growler counter where these there's a line of people getting their growls filled, and there's like a sandwich shop. And then it's just it's a great place. If you really want to check out beer in, in New York and Brooklyn. You got to go to Beercraft. And uh, Joe and Dennis, thanks so much for coming on. We're going to give a shout out to uh, some of the Good Beer Seal Bar events in New York. May fifth is where the Wild Beer the wi- Wild Beer are at. That's weird. Where the Wild Beer are at. The gutter, which is a, a cool spot in Brooklyn, where the wildbeers.com. Tim Stendhal, we know him well. He's a he's an enthusiast. Yeah. He works with Bitter and Esters, which is a great place in Brooklyn. You can go to Bitter and Esters and and make a beer with their equipment, and they even, even clean up after you. Uh, this nice. is a, an event that he does. <laughs> Tim's a cool guy. He does a clone beer project. We did an event Friday night at Jimmy's Number Forty Three. He, he made a clone beer of a Nognio beer, and then uh, May Fourteenth through Twentieth, it's American Craft Week. So this is like the Brewers Association. This is like the world. Craft Beer in America, go to craftbeer.com and check it out. American Craft Beer Week's coming. And uh, over at Sunswick in Queens, which is one of our, our favorite bars in, in New York, Sunswick 3535, uh, Empire Brewing Night, May 16th. And I'd, I'd like to thank our sponsors at greatbrewers.com have helped to bring this podcast to you tonight. Beer Sessions Radio is supported by the Good Beer Seal, goodbeerseal.com. Thanks to Joe and Dennis from the Home Brewers Garden, Peter and Ben, right, for joining me here. Thanks, guys. Say that again. You guys are awesome. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Jimmy. Thanks, All right. And uh, here for the Heritage Radio Network, I'm Jimmy Carboni. Thanks to our producers, Jack Inslee and Brie O'Connor, and guest coordinator, Brett Thompson, who's in the house tonight. And uh, we'll see you soon on Beer Sessions Radio every Tuesday at 5. Have a good night, guys. Woo! In some of my songs, I have casually mentioned the fact that I like to drink beer. Thanks for listening to this program on the Heritage Radio Network. You can find all of our archived programs on HeritageRadioNetwork.com, as well as a schedule of upcoming live shows. You can also podcast all of our programs on iTunes by searching Heritage Radio Network in the iTunes Store. You can find us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter for up-to-date news and information. Thanks for listening.